Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hi, I'm Lois Vallely, Chief Reporter of Money Marketing, and on this episode, I'm joined by Certified and Chartered Financial Planner and regular commentator on all things advice, Amir Roshalima. Hello, Amir. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, Lois. Thank you very much for the invitation. Real pleasure to be on the show here with you. Great. Um, So maybe you could start off just by introducing yourself, saying a bit about why you decided to join the advice profession and just, yeah, giving us a bit of background. Yeah, sure. No worries. So, um, gosh, where did it all start? Yeah, I, I um I remember sort of uh, during my university as the sort of latter latter part of the university is sort of thinking, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, you know, I had these ambitions of coming to the UK, study international relations, maybe go back to Brazil and try to get into the foreign service, you know, through the civil service in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I thought maybe that was the route. Um, and then I guess through uni and just meeting people, I, just, I, I thought, actually, I don't, I'm actually not quite sure whether that's for me. And I was in this period of just trying to figure things out. Like, I know, I'm sure a bunch of us listening to this can can sort of um, uh, understand that feeling. And I was yeah, talking to a very good friend of mine at the time about exactly this. And he said, um, uh, he said, why don't you hand me your CV? And mind you, Leo is his name. He was running uh, the coffee shop inside AXA's headquarter. So AXA Wealth, their headquarters had this coffee shop internally, and he ran that coffee shop. And I said, Leo, no offense, man, but I don't I don't want to work in a coffee shop. Like, I can do gigs like that at the weekends and things. I'm talking about trying to find a profession. And he said, no, no, I don't mean the coffee shop. I mean, I'll hand your CV over to AXA. I mean, the HR team have, you know, coffees regularly with us and all that. So they're always looking and, you know, it's a great company. You, you want to check them out. And I said, OK, yeah, sure. I'll get my CV ready and hand it to you. And yeah, thank you very much for the for the offer. So got my CV ready, sent it to Leo and then went to check who are AXA because I had no idea. Who they were. And um, <laughs> yeah. I found out, Lois, that obviously they were uh, still are, of course, a gigantic company doing everything from wealth management to art insurance and everything in between. You know, financial services sector in the UK, I sort of started understanding a bit more about that. And I went, wow, this seems like an amazingly intricate system, global system. But in the UK, it contributes to a lot of the, the UK's GDP output. So I thought, yeah, it's worth it's worth checking this out. Well, long story short, I went through an interview process with AXA, which was fairly grueling in a good way. And I ended up finding myself in an IFA support team at AXA Wealth in Bristol. And I didn't know what a pension was. I didn't really know how investments worked. I, I certainly didn't know financial planning was a thing, like as in a profession in its own right. Mm. And I was working with uh, AXA's uh, business customers, so IFAs that used AXA's products, and starting to figure out this world, you know, shadowing sort of broker consultants that really did know what they were doing, understanding how could I how could I go from like a telephone-based support guy 
to maybe one day having a panel of my own clients. And then that led to getting to that position, which led to finding out that there was such thing as a professional qualification path that you can take mm-hmm. alongside your work. And AXA, by the way, if you passed an exam, they would sponsor it, they'll pay for it. And I thought, well, I can pass exams. So you know, I was now learning, getting professional qualifications, getting promoted at work. And it, I thought this is amazing. And really finding out sort of a little bit more, even if in the sidelines, a little bit more about what financial advisors did and how they did it. And um, it was really intriguing. And that, you know, set a spark in me that just made me go from, you know, that sort of telephone based guy in Bristol to becoming a a broker consultant, a field based consultant with my own panel of IFA accounts in London and really seeing some numbers um, that I'd never been exposed to before when it came to client wealth and strategies to be able to help clients pass that wealth on to their hires, their beneficiaries, to the causes they cared about. And it was just so intriguing. It was like there was this conundrum that's always moving. And the advisor is, yes, using products, but the best ones that I was seeing, they were using planning, this thing that it didn't really matter whether it was AXA or MetLife or any other company I happened to work for. They were using these products to, to solve this financial plan that they built, to fill the gaps that they built and serve their clients in the best possible way. And that was super, super attractive to me. So it came to a point um, in my life in product provider land where I thought to myself, you know what, I I think this role that I'm fulfilling today is is being commoditized. And it feels like there's a middleman between the financial advisor and the actual client, and I'm that middleman. <laughs> so I wanted to cut myself out of the equation, which meant that uh, I started making sure that my qualification uh, path was towards becoming a chartered financial planner so that I could one day put my CV forward and maybe um, you know try to become a, an advisor myself. Well, this thing called RDR came along, and it meant that quite a few firms around the industry were looking to bolster their uh, their ranks in in terms of qualified chartered financial planners. And I happened to be one of those. And a conversation with a couple of different firms I worked with at the time meant that I landed a role as an advisor starting on the first day of life post-RDR. So what was that? Whatever the first day of January in 2013 would have been, sort of first working day. And yeah, the rest is history. We've gone from uh, a more product um product led advice role in the firm i started off with to more of a holistic financial planning role in a firm that i eventually became a partner into and had the intention to buy the founding partners out to that not really working the way we planned and those founding partners deciding to sell that business to uh, someone else and therefore me thinking okay well either i'm going to go work in the city for a firm that I believe in and I can be passionate about, or I'm going to set up my own firm. And again, through conversations with colleagues, professional connections, I got introduced to my business partner today, Ian, who he had this really, really interesting vision that he was already implementing um, himself in terms of tech that would really make an advisor business not only efficient from a business perspective, but also deliver a great client experience, a unified client experience. and. There was me wanting to build a financial planning firm the right way, serving a niche of clients, planning driven, everything else is a commodity that's there just to serve the plan, which is there to serve the client's best life with the money that they've accumulated up until that point. And yeah, it was a, it is still a great match. Um, We're running strategic wealth partners together. 
the tech that uh, Ian and his developers are developing uh, are very much there to match the goals that we have to solve retirement planning problems for clients, Lois, in a way that gives them clarity, that gives them peace of mind, and actually gives them the confidence to go and be able to do the things that they've worked their whole life to be able to one day get to do. So we're yeah, really proud of you know the the ups and downs of the journey, no doubt, have taken me to a place where uh, I'm a lot more comfortable in my own skin as a planner, very confident about dri- driving a planning first proposition to clients and ensuring they understand the value in that as well. But not forgetting that we're in 2024. And of course, from this year onwards, tech is only going to gain more and more space if the human advisor can use tech to be able to enhance their business efficiencies, but also create a better, more unified client experience, I think that's where the win is. Great. Wow. What a story. <laughs> um, I was So I was obviously going to ask about strategic wealth partners, which I think, um, did you launch it at the end of September? That's certainly when we covered it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you find the, I know you've talked a bit about obviously what you were hoping to achieve um, and we can come on to whether sort of plans for the business have changed at all or or what they are um but how did you find the process of actually obviously you had um ian cook as well your business partner but how did you find the process of launching your own firm because i know it's it's not something that every advisor wants to do Um, no you're you're absolutely right lois it's not and it's not for the faint-hearted and i i mean that um in the way perhaps that it, it actually it's probably rightly a little bit complicated, right? Because we, we have to just give credit where credit is due. Uh, this has to be a very heavily, uh, well, carefully regulated profession, for sure. Because the responsibility that we as financial planners are voluntarily taking on board as owners and managers of a financial planning practice is to safeguard our clients' dreams, right? Mm. Their, their most cherished life goals in the form of the money that they've accumulated to be able to fund those goals. So I think the bar needs to be set high for that, both from a professional qualifications perspective, a minimum standard needs to be, I think it needs to be a high bar, but also in terms of how we need to and should operate our businesses to ensure that we're delivering that clarity, that peace of mind, but in a way that is there to best serve the clients, whilst also being able to be profitable so that we can be around and continue to serve our clients, right? So so that process encompassed all of that, right? Uh, now, the, the the conversations and the dialogue we had with the Financial Conduct Authority during the process, yeah, it was what it was. And we went through that process. We made sure we were very clear in our objectives and our business plans and everything else with them. Um, and uh, yeah, and and as, as you well said, I think, you know, if you're planning on starting a firm, I think it's worth taking a step back first and thinking, okay, why is it that I want to, quote unquote, start my own firm? Because it might be that that's a strategy that your brain is throwing in your mind and saying, hey, this is what you need to do to get, and it's to get, I don't know, personal freedom to create a personal brand Mm. and maybe deliver workshops or try to prospect in a way that is slightly unusual. Maybe you're doing that because you want more freedom to be able to have a better work-life balance and maybe be able to work from home instead of having to commute to an office. Well, those things, whatever they are, they could be solved potentially in a different way than actually setting up a directly authorized financial planning practice. So it's worth just pausing and asking yourself that question. Why is it that I'm having this feeling? Why is it that I can't seem to achieve this feeling in my current setup 
Um, and it might be that the answer is, well, actually, there are different setups out there that would allow you to do that uh, rather than just setting up, you know, Smith & Co. sort of on your own, directly, having all the compliance, all the business management, all the HR and all of the financial planning responsibilities all mm. at once, all the time. There are other ways to solve that. And that's what we're trying to do with strategic wealth partners. The clue is in the name. You know, of course, today, if you think about it, I'm the lead and sole advisor of the firm. So I think we're a we're a business that's aiming to be a really efficient, uh, uh, massive value delivering one man band as it stands today. But the goal is for us to create that vision into a structure where other people who don't necessarily want to set up their own company, they could become a partner within strategic wealth partners. So I've had a conversation with someone who has a, a very particular niche. She's looking to really make a ruckus when it comes to pensions and divorce and that space, and especially dealing with women going through that process. Now, I have uh, uh, done financial planning for women and for men, but I'm just focused on women for a second who are going through a divorce process. And of course, you need to be mindful, super mindful of all of the life aspect that goes with the money aspect of things. Mm. And it's amazing conversations, amazing planning that can be done to serve that that those clients that are going through something like that. So again, uh, the conversation is very much around: could we create, for example, a a pensions and divorce desk for the for the lack of a better term inside Strategic Wealth Partners, where all of all of these different niches and desks are adding up to a a brand or a a, a practice that is bigger than any one of its components individually. So that would be that would be a conversation that I'm I'm ha- conversations I'm having today but the conversations I'm striving to have more and more because Lois I think why not? Like why not? Like we see this happening in Australia, in America these ensemble practices with different people with different specialisms. If we've got the right tech, if we've got the right uh power planning and administration team, if we've got the right operations, why not allow people to be able to flourish with those freedoms? With those things that they want to have in their life, but as part of a bigger brand that can add to the thing they're trying to do in their own niche. So, yeah, that's the that's the long term ambition for sure. Great. Sounds brilliant. Um, I think, is it right to say you sort of specialize in retirement planning? Yeah. So what do you think about I mean, it's a fairly broad question. But what do you think about what's happening in pensions at the moment politically yeah, and more and sort of regulatorily? It's really interesting, Lois, and, and you guys, and especially you, I've seen some of the articles that you've put out around this and, and getting opinions from different advisors and really creating pieces that highlight some of the issues that we see when politicians play political football with something mm-hmm. that, when you boil it down, it really is an emotional aspect of a client's financial life. This is something that people are have been encouraged to via their employer or via their parents or via society, whatever it is, to save into for years and years and years and years. And we have to, you know, they probably lived in a house, uh, prudent savers probably lived in a house that is slightly smaller than the one they could have lived in. They probably drove a car that's slightly less than the car they could have. They probably went on a couple of fewer holidays than they could have, all to be able to safeguard their financial future and eventually their own family's financial future. And to, to not pay attention to the the human aspect of that and just play political football with 
inheritance tax this or pension planning that, I think does the the, the population a massive disservice. And it's it's really disrespectful. That's what I think. So yeah, I it, it requires the financial press in, in you and the work you do and your publication does. It requires financial advisors, professional bodies to sort of work together to try to create some clarity around that and say, look, yes, things can change and things have changed in the past, but you still have the opportunity to plan. And with discipline and consistency, you can progressively achieve the best version of that future life that you aspire to, but by taking those steps month on month from today onwards. That message cannot get lost in we're changing this tax relief or we're changing this allowance because that would really be doing the population disservice. Yeah, definitely. I went to um, a Scottish Widows event the other day and they had, um, I don't know if you've used it or seen it, but their pension age app and so you um take a photo or you like put yourself on the screen and then it tells you what age it thinks you are and how much people that age on average have saved into their pension and after it had got over the fact i wasn't 13 which was its first guess which i just thought was ridiculous and was probably the lighting um when it decided i was 32 then it said that i had actually um more in my pension pot than the average 32 year old so i was quite pleased about that that's fantastic. And well done you for that as well, because that's no that, that that's not an easy thing to do, Lois, because we all have different pressures, different wants, different needs in our life. And it's very easy to just be pulled into different directions. You know, I, for one, am only too conscious that when I was a 20 something year old working in the city of London, you know, with a corporate card, entertaining clients at great restaurants that, you know, uh, I, I I wasn't conscious of money. I took a more unconscious approach to money. Now, thankfully, I didn't do anything reckless. That made meant it was game over, right? But I can definitely see versus today that unconsciousness was there. And I'll give you an example. We were talking about this slightly earlier when we were talking because off the off air on uh, about holidays. You know, mm. a, a holiday for me today it looks like something that is really straightforward, really chilled out, low key. Me, my family, maybe access to the sea maybe staying in an Airbnb that has a pool and just spending time with the kids, right? That isn't a massive cost. Now, that compared to, say, for example, some sort of all-inclusive in the Maldives, right? And that's not to say that I don't want that. But today in my life, I'm conscious of the fact that there are certain things that drive fulfillment in my life, in my wife's life, and then we can understand where we're allocating our money. And thankfully, we don't necessarily need to go to that all-inclusive in the Maldives today to achieve that fulfillment, which means that, like you, we can afford to put a bit more into our long-term savings accounts. Although, to give me less credit, I mean, I, I do have a fair amount of debt as well. And I think it's more because I just consider like my pension payments, I don't even, I just consider them more like a tax and they're just coming out of my pay packet. And I don't even really, I don't even consider them saving. So yeah. thank you for giving me the credit. But I think it's, it's more that probably yeah. I just set them up and then let them get paid. Um I, I thought it was really interesting. So when you were um, telling us about how you got into financial planning in the first place, I thought it really highlighted because you kept saying, and then I realized this and then I sort of found out about this and then I found out about qualifications. It really interestingly highlighted maybe how financial planning as a profession I don't I, I'm not being rude, but it was probably like a few years ago that you were getting into financial planning in the first place. But I do think it's not really change that much in terms of you know it's not something that people maybe consider going into like they would accountancy or 
um, law. Um, and I just, yeah, I wonder what your views were on that. Is, is there more that the profession should be doing to shout about financial planning as a as a profession? Yeah, definitely. I think there is. And I think there's that can that can happen in a few different forms. You're absolutely right. As I said at the beginning of, of that bit of the, the talk today, Lois, I didn't know that financial planning was a thing. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if today we go to some of the best universities in the country and ask, what is financial planning? Is this a profession? How would you categorize? I don't know. You'd you'd phrase the the, the quiz sort of appropriately. I, I reckon a lot of people, like you suggested, a lot of people would be unaware of the fact that there is a formal qualification track that allows you to progressively grow in the different in the different um, um, segments that exist within a financial planning practice too. I mean, you can qualify to be a professional administrator within a financial planning practice, really understanding the language that is liaising with providers, with power planners, with advisors, and making sure that whole system is working for the benefit of the client. Right? You can also decide to take more of a technical route, but continue down the technical route and become a career power planner. And the Professional qualification track is there for folks that are more technically inclined, that that's the, the thing that really ticks it for them is being able to work on solving problems, on calculations, on trying to find efficiencies or, or, or fill the gaps within one's plan. And, and equally, along the way, you can also decide, no, I actually want to be a client-facing advisor. Um, I, I want to serve a particular segment of the population, or I'm happy sort of being more of a generalist, but really doing planning, really figuring out the things that make this couple or this person tick, and then suggesting to them or demonstrating to them how they can get their behaviors, their money habits to progressively track towards those things that they've stated are important to them. Any of those routes are available as proper careers, and they all work in sync with each other, and we don't have enough of any of those, mm. right? So the opportunity is there. The gap in terms of professionals to fulfill those roles, qualified professionals to fulfill those are there. And the professional membership bodies, they have the qualifications to help people become those professionals. So back to your original question, yes, us financial planners, financial advisors, we need to be talking about this. We need to be talking about this in our own communities, right? Because we can't all just, we don't have a megaphone to the whole country. We can't be on some sort of TV show and saying, hey, explore this as a profession. But what we can do is in our local communities, there's nothing stopping us from using the resources, say, within the CISI to be able to create local presentations to A-level students, not only teach them a little bit about money, which is good, good money habits or things to be mindful of when it comes to cryptocurrencies or budgeting, or just so that they have a little bit more of a inside knowledge into this field than they perhaps had before. And highlighting the fact that, hey, as a local business, we're looking for good people. We're looking mm. for people that want to, are hungry for to qualify themselves. They want to become one of those professionals because our practice is looking for those. So the professional membership bodies, the CISI, the CII, et cetera, they really should be working, as I know the CISI is, to build those resources to allow planners to be able to deliver this value in local communities, which, which also highlights the fact that, hey, we're here and we're looking for people. And if you're a person that's looking for a career track and you think these are worth exploring, come and talk to us. Because those little ripples all around the country, Lois, they actually make that big wave. And then it makes a difference. I don't think any one person or any one professional body on its own is going to be able to solve that. 
No, definitely not. And I assume, you know, shouting about the profession um, to encourage more people to come into the profession would have a dual effect because it would um, allow more people, potential clients to know that maybe they should be seeking financial advice. Because I know, um, well, I hear that part of this advice gap that's often spoken about is people who probably do have enough money to get financial advice, but maybe don't even know that it's an option for them. So I imagine that'd be like a dual benefit. Yeah, I'm with you. Doing well by doing good. Right, you start with the doing good. What, what what value can I deliver today? Let's go back to that context there within the environment of A-level students who might or might not be going to uni and therefore either way could really do with a refresher or for the first time, some money fundamentals and like a framework around money fundamentals, right? The ripple effect of that is what you said. Well, if nothing else, hopefully whoever paid attention to you that day is picking up something that they haven't thought about before. Right. Secondly, they might be telling their parents about something that they picked up upon and that maybe their parents aren't aware of. Or they were keen to have a conversation that perhaps without that session, they wouldn't have ever prompted that conversation with their parents. And then Mm. thirdly, they themselves might think, let me look into like I did way back when. Let me look into financial services in the UK. Geez, it's a huge sector, but I don't need to be a trader, whatever that is, in an investment bank. There are many facets to the financial services industry, financial services sector, and one of which is this whole financial advisory, financial planning side of things, which is an ecosystem in its own right. Um, Mm. And getting more people to be aware of it means that we can attract more talent and continue developing these professional qualifications to have the professionals that our practices around the country need. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. It's not all the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, I did just want to, you, you have already um, talked a bit about it when you were talking about um, strategic wealth partners, but I just wanted to talk a bit about, uh, more about uh, technology mm-hmm. in uh, financial planning and sort of how can it, so we've, we've obviously touched on the advice gap a bit. Do you, do you see technology as a way to help close the advice gap? Um, or do you think there's other things that advisors should be doing to to aid that, or is it even their responsibility? That's a really interesting one. You know, the the advice gap is um, a big topic, so we need mm. to break that down into maybe the different the different sections of it, right? Because there is a section of it which is me in my early twenties, and the advice gap for me at the time was to have a literally a very simple framework to not make bad decisions early on. It's not even to hit home runs. It's just Mm. not to make bad choices early on. I didn't have that. And I figured that out the hard way. But like I said, not so hard that it was game over. And some folks, unfortunately, get to the game over stage. So the advice gap there is it's something that we as advisors should be lobbying government to be able to create frameworks that then filter down into schools. So people really understand, hey, we need to learn how to budget. and that maybe is the framework that was missing, as I said, to someone like me when I was in my early 20s. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot more 20-year-olds could do with that good financial thinking framework early on, right? Later in life, now one is in their second job, maybe within their second company or whatever. They're now earning more, more responsibility, thinking of buying a house or whatever it is. The advice gap there is different as well, right? Are we going to DIY this and just try to get the biggest loan that the bank is going to give us? Or is there some sort of framework for us to think about, wait a minute, how can I ensure 
the sustainability of this mortgage payment if things change, as we've seen over these last few years? Right? Mm. How can I ensure the robustness of my financial plan? Because now my expenses are going to go up if I want it to be robust, because I need to think of protection planning. I need to start thinking of, well, if I'm going to start a family, I need to think of having a will in place and lasting powers of attorney. And I need insurances to cover my surviving family if I'm no longer around. So all of that goes hand in hand. Can any one financial advisor do all of that on their own? No. So again, I think this is where industry and government need to work together. You know, financial planners need to be asking their professional bodies to represent that to government so that government can start understanding, look, the advice gap, if we're really honest about it, it's not solved by a product. This is solved by, at different stages, making things quite clear to people. And maybe there is a way for that to be delivered even via their current account. So literally, it goes back into banking institutions, and that messaging is hitting people that way. But it just needs to be a constant reminder to people in different stages of the things that are important to them. By the way, Lois, the government have done a great job on this in a number of things, right? Auto-enrollment, i.e. Mm. we put you in a pension plan, you need to actively put your hand up to be opted out. Fantastic. Yeah. That means the majority of people don't. Um, the whole business with the DVLA and organ donation and the positioning that the, I think it's the nudge unit, they call it, the positioning and the language that they now deliver to people who still haven't ticked that box. Yes, I want to donate my organs if something happens to me. Um, the the way they did that, that same thinking needs to be applied to these uh, these these different advice gaps during these different phases of one's life. And that's bigger than me. For sure. It's bigger than just me. It's bigger than just you. So this yeah. needs to be an effort that's a bit bigger. But yes, of course, um, sometimes that advice gap is full, comprehensive financial planning. Sometimes that advice gap is a framework. That means people need to be honest with themselves and they need to be honest with what their expectations about are, about things are, given the money that's coming in or where they are in their career mm. or some of the other things they need to be doing in their life, too. And that's not a glamorous conversation. But I think that's the way we would go some ways towards filling the advice gap, being that those gaps are different for different people at different stages in their life. Mm, definitely. Great. Um, and do you think artificial intelligence is going to help there at all? Yeah. So it's really interesting. Um, so we're developing our own uh financial practice operating system, is what I call it. It's called the Strategic Wealth Portal. And we really want to have all of these different bits of software that advisors use 50% of, 70% of, 20% of, that encompasses their tech stack, as it's known. We mm. want all of that put into one place. So in the Strategic Wealth Portal, we literally sing off the same hymn sheet as the client. And when we take them through their plan, their fact find, their investments, secure messaging, uploading documents, we take them through the exact same system that we're looking at. They're looking at the same thing as us all the time. And it just brings a level of clarity like I've not been able to deliver before. And even clients saying, oh, gosh, now I know the note you have on file about this that we talked because I can see it. Mm -hmm. right? Or, Amir, I felt like calling your team the other day just to confirm that we had correctly nominated the beneficiaries in our pensions. I don't need to make that call. You've stated who they are and we know who they are. And that is correct. So it's stuff like that, Lewis, that I think um, developing your own tech or using tech partners that help you defragment your tech stack, um, AI being part of that, that's what's going to allow the advisor to spend more time in front of their clients doing the, the human side of financial planning and then having a team that is there to 
manage the systems, be it AI, be it an operating system, so that the practice is profitable, so that you can be around. It's efficient, so that people know what they're doing. The right bums are in the right seats inside your mm. team. And so that you can, with clarity, answer and deliver the value you're aiming to deliver to clients. Because don't forget, they want that too. They don't want to be logging into three different things, four different things every time they want to see or find out an answer about their sort of their financial plan or their investments or whatever it is. So yeah, I think there's a there's a big opportunity here for financial planners to be thinking about their tech stack, how to defragment it as much as possible, but also how to make it function in a way that allows you to be more human. Because we need to be on the side of tech. If tech is is, is sort of commoditizing something, let's go ahead and proactively commoditize that, you know, because we might as well be at the, the sort of have the, our best foot forward rather than waiting for something to happen, being completely oblivious of what tech and AI has the power to do. So mm. that's how I see it rather than a massive threat. Good. And if it's a threat to jobs, it's going to be, as I always say, it's going to be a threat to life anyway. So probably yeah. a bigger one. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Great. Um, are there any other sort of key challenges you think are facing financial planners? Any big challenges? Yeah. So I think one thing that's really, really interesting, well, two things actually that's been really interesting, Lois, is um, uh, speaking now with sort of in, in closed sort of study groups as such of professional planners, and I have the opportunity to be part of one of those in London. Uh, there's more, it's interesting how the the issues that we're discussing today are more about uh, making sure that our potential uh, clients or even just the population at large understands what is financial planning. You know that that still isn't clear in people's minds. You know, mm -hmm. I saw, for example, a a couple the other day who were uh, effectively shopping around for a second opinion. They're unhappy with the fact that a friend of theirs is apparently has all the clarity he needs around his money and is retiring. And this guy's got quite a lot of money. His wife's got quite a lot of money, but, and they have a, and this is their language. They have a pensions guy, whatever that means, but they have a <laughs> pensions guy who's helped them throughout his life. And he's done a good job, all their language here, but they have no clarity around whether they've got enough. And right. again, that, see, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's, this is a recurring theme. So I think we as financial planners, we need to be thinking together as a community and and, and even with the with the uh, with journalists like yourself with the publications in our sector we need to be thinking together as to how do we market financial planning as a discipline that irrespective of products or irrespective of funds understands one situation as is takes them through that and then goes now let's talk about the what ifs what if xyz or what if abc Right? Yeah, that, that's a discipline in its own right. When we deliver that, we see people pointing. I see people pointing to the screen at the end of that delivery. They say, I mean, I want one of those. And the one of those isn't a product, isn't a fund. It's that ongoing conversation. It's having someone like that on their side on an ongoing basis. So we need to do more as a community. And that includes the publications in our sector to try to figure out how can we do a better job at marketing what the discipline of financial planning is and why that's different than the last bit of it, which is the implementation of the financial advice, the regulatory bit, right? Mm. So that's that's something I think is really interesting and worth developing further. Um, the other thing is when we think about succession planning, um, you know, I worked five years towards a succession plan that at the end didn't work out as we had envisaged. And the founding partners of the firm decided to take a, a, a different direction. And once I sort of let the world know that I was launching strategic wealth partners and, you know, um, 
this is this is this has happened and this is what I aim for the business. I started getting a bunch of direct messages, some from people I know that I didn't realize that they had gone through a very, very similar story. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, why is that? Um, and and it, we're seeing more and more of that, right? Because now it, it's it's just it's almost as if my eyes have been opened to this. And yeah, we're currently in talks with a with a, a financial planner. He's a, he's a veteran of the profession. Um, he's got a boutique financial planning practice, a small client bank, very efficient business, very planning driven. He's a CFP professional, has been for years, evidence based investing, all of the good stuff that that um, you talk about in your publication and that we we champion as well and he has explored the the retirement succession plan conversation with a few of these big national firms and he's come out of those conversations underwhelmed mm. because the difference with this particular person is he retires today in six months time he's still going to bump into his old clients across the fo- frozen food aisle in waitrose locally mm. to him because all of his clients, and it's a boutique business, it's a small client bank, all his clients live within a three to five mile radius from him. And he's known them for many, 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 many years. So the succession planning that somebody like that is looking for is very different to someone else, right? He wants continuity of service. He wants to feel, he wants his clients to feel that even that succession plan is part of the service that he offers them as he walks into his retirement. And the conversations we're having around, how can we create that? How can we create that? Not only because of locality, his locality and ours were very close, so it it makes sense there. There's a good story there. But it's not just that. In terms of how we deliver things, uh, who are the team members of Strategic Wealth Partners? What do they stand for? What are their qualifications? What are they trying to achieve in the world? What are they trying to put out there? All of that means that you know we get to have a sort of a front seat with that conversation versus if we were just trying to, I don't know, create a, a firm that hoovered up a bunch of IFAs around the country, oh, we wouldn't be having a conversation with him. So mm. not only is that not our ambition, but our own niche allows us to have conversations that perhaps you know aren't conversations that these big nationals are even interested in. Very interesting. Yeah. And thank you for the little um, hint at what's going on there. <laughs> Um, No, really good. Thank you. I think we're probably coming towards the end. So I've just got one final question for you, if you don't mind. Um, uh, I would, yeah, what one piece of advice would you give to someone starting out on a career in financial advice or just looking at a career in financial advice or planning? Yeah. So I think that's a really good question, Lois. I think the, the most important thing is for you to start really observing and being introspective as to what attracts you about the financial planning profession, right? And the component parts of it. So who is it that you're following? Who is it that you're consuming content from? What is it about that that's intriguing or that you would want to know more about? Because that will start taking you towards one of those routes. And you can pivot, but it will probably take you towards one of those routes around more of a administration's operations role or more of a technical power planning role, or perhaps mm-hmm. down the road of, becoming a financial planner, financial advisor, and actually being the one that has that client relationship. And you need to be introspective about this because one thing is what you might like to read and makes you feel good. But the other thing is, what would you like to do, right? What Mm. would you be liking to wake up on a Monday and do for a living? And look, all those professions have slightly different career pathways, of course. Um, they all meet in the same place within the financial planning practice. And one it's going down one route doesn't stop you from pivoting into other parts of the financial planning profession as a whole. Um, but it's worth being mindful of that. And then two, reach out to those people. 
right? I have found, Lois, that honestly, um, over these, gosh, no, many, many years now that I've been in the UK and um, obviously as a financial planner as well, reaching out to people that I looked up to because uh, of a particular professional qualification pathway that they took. Say, for example, when I was planning on taking my CFP, I reached out to a bunch of CFPs that I respected and looked up to. And I just asked them, hey, how did you do it? What should I be mindful of? What sort of time do I need to dedicate? What resources did you use? I didn't I didn't get any blanks or anything like there was no there was no one that wasn't willing to spend 10, 15 minutes, half an hour on a phone call or a Zoom call just talking me through some things. Because, again, today I get those direct messages. I get those phone calls and I get I, I try to help in the way that I'm trying to answer your question here. You know, there are people out there that have sort of gone down, roughly speaking, the pathway that might interest you. Just ask them about that journey and what could you learn from it? What would they do differently? So for me, it's um, making sure that you are introspective about what what role do you think would best suit you and would fulfill your current career ambitions. Two, contact the people that are fulfilling those roles. Ask them about their qualification pathway. Ask them about their ambitions. Where do they want to get to? Because it might actually spark something in your mind as well. And then three, associate yourself with a professional body such as the CISI or the CII. See if you can add value there as well. You know, go to the local branch meetings, see if you can volunteer in those branch meetings, get to know the community there as well, and then do your best to be able to use the resources that are available from those professional bodies to start doing some good in your own community. You know, get your name out there by delivering some value. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, 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 irrespective of which one of those roles is is your career career ambition, because only it's good karma. Good stuff will come back to you. Perfect. All great advice. I particularly like the point about, you know, just speaking to people. I think sometimes people are a bit nervous about going and speaking to people they don't know. But the very vast majority, I say pretty much all people aren't going to sort of look you up and down and go, no, I don't want to speak to you. (laughs) Most people want to be helpful and find it flattering that you'd ask. So, yeah, I definitely agree. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Mammy. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Lois. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.